Welcome to an exclusive recording of the Shepherd's Path, the Seerah of the Prophet wasallam, taught by Sheikh Muhammad al-Sharif rahimahullah, in July of 2008. This episode is brought to you by Blessed Voyage, taking knowledge beyond the classroom. Blessed Voyage is our flagship service taking you around the world with the expert guidance of our instructors. Whether you dream of going on Hajj or Umrah, visiting Al-Aqsa, or seeing the Islamic world with your own eyes, Blessed Voyage turns your travels into a transformative memorable learning experience. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala, amma ba'd. Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is dead. This statement did it make any of you cry? And there will be another time in this seminar, inshallah ta'ala, where I'm going to say the statement again. But it's going to be after you take in the journey. After you know who the Prophet is. The companions, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, when someone's family member would die, imagine. A mother's child has died and the sister comes to her and says, you have a bigger musibah, a bigger situation in the death of the Prophet And so take comfort in that. We're talking about a mother and her child dying. And this is how they would comfort one another. Because they love the Prophet so much. Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates, he said, جَاءَ رَجُلٌ إِلَى النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَقَالَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ الْمَرْءُ يُحِبُّ الْقَوْمُ وَلَمْ يُلْحَقْ بِهِمْ فَقَالَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ الْمَرْءُ مَعَ مَنْ أَحَبُ This man came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ A person loves a people, yet he hasn't done the same actions that they have done. And the Prophet ﷺ said, the human being, that person, will be with whom they love on the day of resurrection. And so now when we're talking about who do we love, you know, this question you'd say, like, do you love Zaid? Anybody Zaid here? Zaid? No Zaids? Okay, so if you said to someone, do you love Zaid? Someone will say, do you love them? Yes. Do you love them? No. You can't actually come to a conclusion whether you love the person or you don't love the person because... Because of what? Because you don't know who they are. Correct? Now if someone had, when I said, uh, do you guys love Zaid? Is there really a Zaid here? Or you guys just don't name the name Zaid anymore? If there really was a Zaid, and then I said, do you love Zaid? You would immediately think, oh, that person who raised their hand. Even with that little bit of knowledge, you're starting to build up whether you love the person or not. So now when it comes to the Messenger of Allah, our youth, many of us, none of us are accepted in this, we might know Sports figures better than we know the Prophet ﷺ, correct? And so you'd see the little children, if you ask them, you know, who's the famous football player, this person and that person, they get so excited and their face illuminates. And then when you say to them, who are the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, who are the khulafa? What do you know about the Prophet ﷺ? Immediately the faces go blank, the joy and happiness is like unplugged, and you see a different thing. 
And so this hadith of Al-Mar'u Ma'man Ahab, that a person will be with whom he loves, is that a happy hadith or is it a sad hadith? What do you think? Who thinks it's a happy hadith? A lot of sisters think it's happy, brothers don't think it's happy. Who thinks it's a sad hadith? It's definitely sad. Because not too many people love the Prophet and the companions. It's sad depending on who you love, or happy depending on who you love. So the question is, who do you really love? Prophet said, لا يؤمن أحدكم. You won't have Iman حتى أكون حب إليه من ولده ووالده والناس أجمعين. He said, you won't have Iman until I'm more beloved to you than your children, your parents, and all humanity. You won't have Iman until that's the case. And when a person gets to that level, المرو مع من أحب, when you truly love the Prophet وسلم, then you will be with the Prophet وسلم, even though you didn't do the actions that he did or the companions did. If you truly love the Prophet وسلم, you get upgraded to first class. The key is true love of the Prophet وسلم. How do you build true love of the Prophet وسلم? Step number one is coming to a seminar like this and learning about the Prophet Sallallahu life, correct? You learn about the life, just like we said, this is Zaid or this is, you know, person so-and-so, person that. You know them better when you spend some time with them. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he once said, you know, the, this man wanted to get married or so, and who knows him? And someone says, I know him. And then Umar radiallahu anhu questioned him, he said, have you traveled with him? Have you done business with him? Like you've transacted money with, with him? And the man said, no. And then he said, then you don't know him. So externally, you guys just see me like on stage like this. I just see you sitting there staring, some of you taking notes, some of you not taking notes. I don't know too much about you. And I really can't come to a conclusion until the person goes on a journey with people, until the person uh, does some financial transactions with the people. And then they start to know them. Have you ever been on a journey with the Prophet ﷺ? How many people have been on a journey with the Prophet ﷺ? Anybody ever taken a seerah class in a short amount of days, start to finish? Intensive. Okay, just about four or five. One of the beautiful things about the Al-Maghrib seminar is that it is, the word I would say is immersion. Key word is immersion. When I was first building up this Al-Maghrib Institute concept, and someone will say, how can you teach so much in such little time? And in fact, I would say this style of education is much more effective than a halaqa or something that's going on for weeks and weeks. Why is that? The key difference is immersion. In a halaqa, you sit for one hour, two hours. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the halaqa. There's pros and cons and benefits and, and, uh, and so on to each style. But in a halaqa, let's say you're taking an Arabic class, and the Arabic class is one hour every week on a Saturday, Sunday, correct? After that one hour, you come next week, and, and you've forgotten everything in between. And you don't even remember what the homework was, whether you brought it. You guys, have been, how many have been to Arabic classes? And you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> you forget, the teacher has to review, and then you come next week, you forget, teacher has to review. Even I, I remember I was in one halaqa, and I said, just for the organizers, I challenged all the people in the halaqa to tell me what the topic of last week's halaqa was. I said, I'm not going to ask you any details, nothing. Just tell me what the topic was. 
who, and, and this was like, they were discussing different personalities each week, and I'm like, just tell me who last week's personality was. And I swear by Allah, nobody remembered who the personality was. And so that's a problem when a person's not in immersion, they haven't gone on a journey, right? Now that would be different if they took a personality and they spent the whole weekend studying that person's life, correct? They've gone into an immersion, and inshallah ta'ala, that's what we'll be doing with the Prophet And so what a blessed journey it is. Even as I was sitting here in the introduction, and I see just a few empty seats there, here and there, and I feel so sad for the people who aren't going on this journey. If you talk to someone and they say, oh, you know what, I'm busy this Saturday. You've given up a journey with the Prophet And at the end of this journey, you will not have an increased knowledge of the Prophet after these two weekends are, are over. And I thought to myself, when will I teach this class again in, in London? I'm like, I'll probably never teach it again in London. Inshallah, someone else will teach it. <laughs> All right, so how do we benefit from the class? I'm going to go through like, um, the introduction, how you benefit, how you can benefit others, so that you know right from the very beginning how to take full advantage of this course, inshallah ta'ala. The Prophet there's a beautiful, uh, what's it called? Kind of like uh, an essay of the hands of the Prophet It's on uh, Dawood Warnsby's, uh, one of his cassettes. An essay about the hands of the Prophet Everything that was mentioned in the essay is correct. That the Prophet one of the companions said, I've never felt any silk softer than the hands of the Prophet Prophet shook hands um, you know, with enemies and in, in peace treaties. Prophet shook hands with slaves, shook hands with kings. The Prophet you know, would, with his hands, he caressed his family members with the Prophet hands. You know, he never hit his family members and so on. And then at the end of the essay it says, the Prophet's hands are gone. Yet the Prophet example lives on. So the Prophet what you're actually reading here and this journey is the story of your life. This is the story of your life. When the people talk about, like the companions of the Prophet why did Aisha do this? Why did Talha do that? Why did Zubair do this? And you know how everybody starts getting into this like debate and discussion? Let me tell you that they're all promised Jannah. They're, they've already gone there. They're already there. What you are discussing, basically number one, is none of your business. Number two, it's what are your actions? That's the issue, is your actions, because their actions, Allah is going to decide that. And here's actually a beautiful tip, a beautiful tip for everybody who's wondering, the non-Muslims, are they going to hell, or going to this and that? That's Allah's job. <laughs> you don't have to sit down and, 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 you know, Allah didn't appoint you as the person who's, you know, it's not your issue. Right? You're not the one deciding who's going to paradise and hellfire. What is your issue then? What are you responsible for? Basically, you're taking the position of the Prophet What was the Prophet responsible for? Was he responsible to decide who's going to paradise and who's going to hellfire? No, what was he responsible for? Who knows what he was responsible for? Yes? To convey the message, right? In عَلَيْكَ إِلَّا الْبَلَاغ That your responsibility is nothing more than al-balagh Al-balagh al-mubin which is conveying the clear message to the people. And the Prophet in his farewell hajj, he said to the people, Hal balaght? Right? He said, did I convey the message to you? 
because this is the epitome, this is the pinnacle, this is the top of everything that you're responsible for, did you convey the message? So let's say you're going on the, um, what's that thing called? The uh, subway or the underground? The tube. So you're going on the tube and you're thinking someone's sitting beside you, should I tell them about Islam? No, they're not going to become Muslim because Allah told me they're not going to become Muslim. <laughs> All right? You have no idea. You have no idea. What are you responsible for? To convey the message. So what you're concerned about, whether they're going to accept it or not, is not actually in your hands. What you should be concerned about is, did I convey the message or not? Right? Which was the example of the Prophet how big is the earth? How big is the earth? Is it big? How many people think the earth is big? How many people think the earth is small? Obviously, these are trick questions. Everybody kept their hand down, they're on the safe side. Do nothing. Which <laughs> is the typical Muslim reaction. <laughs> so what's the correct answer to that question? Is the earth big or is the earth small? What's the correct answer? It depends. <laughs> What's the correct answer? Correct answer is it's relative, right? What that means is it's relative. It's whether it's big or small is based on what it's compared to. And that's everything in life. What you compare it to will determine whether it's big or small. Correct? You guys understand this, right? The earth put it in the solar system and it's tinier than a speck. Tinier than a piece of dust. You know, like when, you're, when you, the light is coming in, you see dust? One of those is like the Earth compared to the solar system, correct? And then when you go down, when you look in the microfibers and you, and, and you take a microscope, you'll see like a universe and all of these things, correct? In, inside the, uh, in the plants and, and the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala going up or going down. It just depends on what you compare it to. So now your actions, this is what I'm trying to say, your actions for this deen, are they big or are they small? And the answer is they are small <laughs> or big compared, on, compared to what you compare it to. So if you compare it to people who are disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, maybe people are like drinking alcohol, fornicating, committing all this haram and so on and so forth, and you're like, I don't drink alcohol, I don't fornicate, I pray in the masjid once a day, I'm all good. Right? So it's like relative. And in fact, Umar radiallahu anhu, that the Muslims would be punished, like, He's even telling the people, don't compare yourself to the non-Muslims. That's an incorrect comparison. Because if you compare yourself to someone who's disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, left, right, and center, then obviously any small good that you do will seem like it's huge. Right? But you compare yourself to what you're responsible for. And then you will see whether you're big or small in your actions. That's where the comparison is. So, the Muslim ummah could be punished by a people who are much worse than them, right? So you have like the Tatar, or you have, you know, all in, in history, Muslims were punished, and not punished, but you know, there was battles and, and, and Muslims, a big fitness happened with uh, disbelieving armies that were much more disobedient, they were completely disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But yet they had the upper hand on Muslims. So the comparison wasn't between Muslims and the non-Muslims. The comparison was between Muslims and how much they're fulfilling their duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when you see the lives of the Prophet and Ibrahim and the lives of the companions, it serves as a measure for you to see what did they do for this deen and then you can compare it. 
So whenever someone starts praising you and says, MashaAllah, you volunteered at this and that and so on, you don't like go like, I'm the ultimate volunteer, right? <laughs> I'm forever saved because I, I helped with parking or something like that. Alhamdulillah, you're thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If someone says something nice to you, of course, you're thanking Allah azawajal, but you're also, you're looking at your potential, doing your best for the deen. And as a footnote to that, the best actions are those which are consistent, as the Prophet said. Adwamuha wa inqal, right? The consistent actions, even if they are small. So some people might think, I'm going to do something big for the deen, but yet they don't do small, consistent things. And so if you're looking for significance in the, in the sight of who? You might think, oh, Allah wants me to do something big for the deen. No, what Allah Azza loves is consistent actions, even if they're small. Not saying that you can't do big consistent actions, but even if it's a small action, you have a small action or you have a big action, the small consistent action is better for you. Small consistent actions, because in the long term it will become your habit and you'll bring more benefit. If you look like, say, a fundraiser, you guys have like these monthly pledges, people pay monthly, do you guys do that? If for a fundraiser, either they get a monthly pledge or they get a one-time donation, ask any fundraiser the monthly pledge is more beneficial for the Islamic school or more beneficial for the masjid or so on. Because even though it might be smaller, it's going to come consistently. And same thing with your actions, even though your action might be smaller, but if it comes consistently, you'll actually get more benefit from it, inshaAllah ta'ala. You'll also have an example to follow of those who were truthful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As you're looking for great companionship, right? You want like great examples in your life, and sometimes it's hard to find people like that. But when you have the seerah and you have the books of, you know, the companions of Allah and how they live their lives, you have the beautiful example to follow. So you'd always say, well, what did Uthman do? What did Sa'ad do? What did they do here? What did they do there? And you're living in their lives with these books. With these books. In this class, inshallah ta'ala, you will cry. <laughs> At some point or another, you will cry. And I said that, you know, why did you take this? It's interesting, when we were doing the seerah class, we are doing all these al-Maghrib class between seerah and say, usul al-fiqh. Usul al-fiqh, very few people know about it. So if you'd imagine usul al-fiqh and seerah, a lot of people know about seerah, and not too many people know about usul al-fiqh, so that you would want to learn, you, you know, the assumption is people want to learn something that they don't know. But that's not the case. People come to classes that they're more familiar with. So a seerah class, you know, you just have, you know, sold out and all these people come. You have a surah al-fiqh and they're like, what's that? Fiqh? What is it? And then they, they don't read it. It's very hard to convince me. Are you going to teach Hanafi fiqh or Shafi fiqh? And it's a surah al-fiqh. It's not even a fiqh class, right? So they got, they just don't know what they're talking about. And then you see the numbers are lower for something like that. So now if you know seerah in general, you guys know seerah, correct? Do you guys know seerah? Some of you do. I'm not going to assume that everybody just knows seerah and so on. Two things, if you know seerah, you might not have done it in an immersion style, okay? So you're going to benefit, inshallah ta'ala, from the compression of all of these events happening in two weekends, inshallah ta'ala, start to finish. You'll also benefit from, when these stories come, what I want you to do is extract new lessons for yourself. You might look, you might have some shades of, of like glasses, you're looking at a story in one way, try to take it from a different vantage point. Try to understand the story from a different angle. 
and try to extract new lessons. If you've gotten this lesson so many times from the story, what other angles can I benefit from the story? And so you have in the Quran, you have the Quran, you can take one verse and sit and contemplate it again and again and again, correct? And continuously extract lessons from it. And the more you look into the Quran, just like the brother was saying about Tafsir Surah Al-Baqarah, you may read it, but the more you look into it, the more you extract, the more your eyes open to, hey, you know what, I've never seen that before. Hey, and I've never seen that before. Even though you may have read the surah again and again and again. The seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, as one of the scholars mentioned, he said that if the Prophet ﷺ only had one miracle, that miracle being the miracle of the seerah, it would be enough as a miracle to his prophethood, as a testimony to his prophethood. Now, you might not understand that, because you haven't looked deep into the seerah. But when you look deep into the seerah, you'll find from many, many, many different angles, you name the angle, and you'll find examples in the seerah of the Prophet So, for example, let's say someone is a general in the army. He's like, it's the Pakistan army, this is like general, I'm sure some of your dads and stuff are like that. Would he have example in the seerah of the Prophet Absolutely. One brother, he was doing internet security, he was doing his PhD, and he said that the seerah is brilliant. He said, what we're learning in the university on how to do internet security, he said, these are techniques that Khalid ibn al-Walid used. And he's like, when you read it in the book, then you're like, that's what Khalid did. <laughs> Correct? And then you name it, you have these books on personal development and psychology and so on, turn page after page, PhD, a person, it is encouraged that they smile at other people. <laughs> Smiling is sadaqah. <laughs> and, you know, and then they have to figure this. And this, subhanAllah, one of the scholars mentioned, Allah Azza wa says, يَعْلَمُونَ ظَاهِرًا مِّنَ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا They know, like the appearance, uh, like the appearance of this life. I want you to understand this verse. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying about the non-Muslims, they can come to the same conclusions based on their observation that Islam is the truth. And this is what has happened. They didn't attend Sharia classes. They didn't come to Al-Maghrib Institute. They came to these conclusions based on their scientific research that a person who gives sadaqah, it will increase their money. You guys understand that, right? Any wealth book that you read, there will always be a chapter on giving sadaqah. Even if nobody, they don't even mention God and so on. They're just just give charity, your wealth will increase. This is proven that giving charity will increase your wealth. And you can keep going again, they just know this dunya and they've come to these conclusions based on their observation, but you already have it built in. All you have to do is embrace Islam. To completely, when you see the commandments of Allah and His Messenger and you enter into it, success will be yours. You already have it, you don't have to do a PhD in this subject and that subject, you just follow it. Throughout this class as well, some people, they get sad. This is like the, um, the ailment of our, of our times, is sadness, correct? Everybody has like everything, but yet they just die of sadness. So, you know, they calculated, um, you know, how much wealth people had, like say, 50, 60 years ago, and the focus is always on like, make more money, make more money, make more money. Now our communities are much more wealthier, correct? There's much more wealth in, you know, in the Western countries and so on and so forth. And so, according to the hypothesis, their happiness should have increased with the same amount of financial increase that they had. Is that correct? Did happiness increase with the financial increase? 
The answer is obviously not. But yet people still focus, you know, it's just the, the money, money, money factor. Now, Muslims living in this society are not exempt from this. You're in a box. SubhanAllah, this, this uh, experience happened to me when I just came back from Umrah. And when I was in Mecca, Medina, I love to read books, right? So I'll go into the bookshop, what's available to me? Like books on the Prophet ﷺ, books on this, you know, books on fiqh, books on, uh, you know, khuluq of the Muslim, and really amazing books, right? And so those are the books I was buying and those are the books I was reading. When I came back to, like just like two days ago, came back to Canada, I went into the bookstore again. Actually, you know, you just go into like a London airport bookshop. And then you're surrounded by Obama books. <laughs> the audacity of hope and all this stuff. And you're surrounded by like, oh, how to build it, how to manage change, how to, you know, time, this and that. You surround, you're, you've been put into another box. In both situations, they're boxes. You're in this box, you're surrounded by influences. Correct? And so even if I wanted a book on the Prophet ﷺ, I would not find it there. But yet I felt like I want to buy a book. At the end of the day, whatever book I get would not be a book that is necessarily taking me in the direction that I want to go. And so as if the society is focused on money and it hasn't brought them happiness and Muslims are in that box, so what have Muslims focused on? The exact same things. Now, part of their deen has protected them. So if the society is focused on alcohol and this and that, okay, Muslims have been protected somewhat from those things because Islam is protecting them. But at the end of the day, the problems that they have will be the problems that the Muslims have. So the sadness factor is just like it is with the non-Muslims. Actually, it's, it's a different type of sadness, but you'll see Muslims are sad and depressed just like non-Muslims are sad and depressed. So one of the beautiful things about the seerah, one of the beautiful things about the seerah, is you can get real problems and you can compare it. When you see what the Prophet was sad about, you will say like, I have no right to be sad. It's like you went to a restaurant and they didn't give you ketchup. And you're sad, the service was bad and you feel terrible, I paid for this ketchup, why didn't they give me the ketchup? Correct? Just try saying that out loud. And you'd feel like, subhanAllah, you know, like the sadness and you know, that you're even feeling, you know, something like that. So the Arabic word is like tasliya. Tasliya is like consolement, consolement. Every time something sad happens to you, you compare it to what happened to the Prophet Probably whatever sadness issue is going to come up with you, you will have an example of the Prophet And you can compare it, how did the Prophet deal with it? What was he tested with? And so on. How you'll benefit from the seerah with your family and friends, one of the most awesome things that you discover from the seerah and this is something that, you know, when you're looking for the miracles of the Prophet And there, there are books written on the miracles, but in general, the seerah of the Prophet followed natural laws. Okay? That's a key point. The seerah of the Prophet followed natural laws. What that means, like, if the, if the Prophet had come and, you know, he showed the people a huge sign and everybody had become Muslim, then later on, you're trying to give da'wah to a person on the tube, and then they're like, show me a sign. And you're like, can't. But that's not how the seerah came. Now, the stories of other prophets, it'll be like, you know, this is, you know, the she-camel came, or, you know, this miracle came, and so on and so on. And the people didn't believe anyway. But, you have, but with the Prophet ﷺ, it followed natural laws. Meaning this is the step-by-step -step approach that you take. What that means is that when you study the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, you will have a game plan of giving da'wah to the people. 
and establishing your communities and living life as a civilized human being. You will have it all there in the seerah of the Prophet And the beautiful thing about Islam is Islam is simple. Islam is simple. So people, when they want like the secret recipe, they expect it to be something that's so confusing and so like, um, uh, you know, mixed up that they finally figured it out. But the ingredients to success are very simple ingredients. Usually people, they belittle these type of ingredients to success. And they're like, give us more deeper things. Even in, in an Islamic class, for example, in the academic world, when you go to university, it is required of the teacher to make the course hard. Is that a requirement? Otherwise, the university becomes a joke. What if they're teaching you simple things in university? What would you do? You're like, oh, this is a Mickey Mouse course. This is a Mickey Mouse course. This is, you know, we learned this in, in, uh, in crash. <laughs> and so when it comes to Islamic studies, when it comes to Islamic studies, okay, the academic world, they're boxed, put into the Muslim world, and now you have, like, say, professors in Islamic universities trying to make the class hard. The Prophet ﷺ said, Adinu yusr. The deen is easy. So if a professor is trying to make it difficult, he would actually have to exaggerate to make things difficult. And I'll tell you how to make an Islamic class difficult. You mention Greek philosophers. <laughs> and then it becomes like crazy. You don't even understand what's going on and so on. That's the only way you can make it difficult. And so my suggestion for you is don't belittle the basics. Don't belittle the basics because the basics are what's going to move you forward and move you forward very quickly. It's your neglect, and subhanAllah, you know, even um, I was in Medina, one of the shaykh was saying, he said, nowadays, when scholars are talking, they're always talking about complex issues to the general masses, right? People are like, tell us about the mortgage issue, and they're like, murabaha, and you know, mudaraba, and everybody's like, yes, tell us more, tell us more, and the guy doesn't know how to make wudu, right? <laughs> Correct, you agree? They might not pray, they might not know how to make wudu, but they're talking about mudaraba and murabaha and all of these things because they want to buy a house. And, and you know, that's like the end. And then you look at the end of all those discussions, how many people's iman went up in a situation like that? Nobody. How many people are guided to Allah? Nothing. It's not happening. Because the scholars of the past, you know, this hadith that the shaykh was commenting on, he was saying that in Muwatta in, Imam Malik, one of the companions, radiallahu anhu, this hadith is narrated, he said to, um, like one of the tabi'een, he said to one of the companions, he said, would it be possible if you could show me the wudu of the Prophet, And then he said, yes. And then he's like, bring some water, and then, you know, then they, he made wudu. Now the scholars are saying that if you went to a sheikh today, right, in our times where we really do need to know how to make wudu, and say, can you show me how to make wudu? And you're like, What? You're like 30 years old, you don't know how to make wudu yet. You're, you know, how many years, astaghfirullah, you still don't know how to make wudu? And you like belittle the person for asking such a simple question. But yet, this was their methodology. That they learned the basics and they learned it perfectly. And subhanAllah, even it's coming to mind, in martial arts, in martial arts, I think I mentioned this in one of my lectures. In martial arts, all these little kids that go into martial arts, kids like yourselves. <laughs> As soon as you go into the first class, you want to play with the nunchucks. <laughs> Correct? We've got some martial arts brothers here and sisters, I'm sure. 
Every time they have students, student comes in and is like, when are we going to use knives? When are we going to use nunchucks and stuff like that? And, and so if the teacher tells them, well, this is basic pattern number one. This is basic pattern number two. And then you sit there for like two years just going like this, back and forth. And usually people quit because of this, right? They just quit because all they're doing is just going like this the whole time. But let's suppose that the teacher had no mercy and actually accepted from the student to give them the nunchucks. Not the, and, and said, here are the nunchucks. Gives him the nunchucks. What does he do with the nunchucks? He takes the, the, the nunchucks. I call it nunchucks on purpose. And he goes like this, like he's seen in a movie or something like that. He goes, wow. And he hits himself right in his spinal cord and immediately collapses to the ground. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why did he hit himself so hard? Why? <laughs> yes? He doesn't know the technique? Not necessarily. That's not the sentence I'm looking for. Why did he hit himself in the back? Yes? He doesn't know the basics. He doesn't know the basics, so you give him a murabaha, mudaraba issue, and he slams himself in the back. And he's like, no, riba is fine. <laughs> because when he compared it to mudaraba, it seems to be the same as far as I'm concerned, and blah, blah, blah. And then he just does haram after that. Hit himself in the back and slammed himself to the ground. Because they were given these things. Anyhow. So the seerah follows the natural path, and the ingredients are very simple and easy to emulate. They're very simple and easy to emulate, and inshallah ta'ala, it's not about you looking for super complex things in the seerah, because it's very simple, the seerah of the Prophet but rather implementation is a different issue. So what you're going to ask is not, please tell us something complex that will mess up our brains like Greek philosophers. That's not what you're looking for. What you're looking for is how do we implement this? How do we implement this is what you're looking for. So give an example of like implementation. The Prophet ﷺ said that you will not believe until you love one another. Okay, that's deep. You will not have iman until you love one another. Do you guys love one another? The answer is no, not really. <laughs> Someone sitting beside you, you'll go the whole class and never even ask them their name. Do you love them? Nope. <laughs> They're just sitting beside you. So the Prophet ﷺ said, you won't enter Jannah until you have Iman, until you believe, and you will not believe until you love one another. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, so you'd say, well, how do we implement that? The Prophet ﷺ said, shall I not tell you of a way that you can love one another? And the Prophet ﷺ said, salama baynakum. He said, spread salam amongst yourselves. So now, do we have to have a conference on love <laughs> to, uh, to love one another? In fact, the techniques of loving one another are as simple as a person taking the time out to say salam to other people. And here's, you know, just put it in your mind that, you know, the ajr, the reward of saying salam and shaking a person's hand, every time you pass a Muslim, you have an opportunity to get this reward. And so you can either pass up the opportunity, you know, kind of like, you know, like Mario Brothers, have you guys played that? And there's like these diamond coins above his head. Now, if he just keeps running through the game, you like run out of point, you know, run out of energy and so on. Don't miss out on those golden coins. It's like jump up, cling, cling, cling. Assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum. You're just picking up those golden coins everywhere you go. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi. There was an older man, this is a long time ago, in, in Masjid Nabawi. And he was like standing near in the Rauda, the old masjid. And the whole day he spent saying salam to people whole day, 
like Asr till Maghrib, some people are sitting reading Quran, some people, you know, just sitting there, some people just frowning, some people just praying, leave. This guy was, was going around the whole masjid saying salam to everybody. Now, what do you think he looked like when he was doing this? Do you think he had a frown when he was doing it? No, he had the biggest smile. I think his smile was like permanently painted on his face. And he was just going around, assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum. Now, someone will walk in the masjid, right? Someone from like the UK or something like that. How do they walk into the masjid? They're scared, they're nervous. You know, it's like, <laughs> take off their sandals. They're afraid someone's going to steal their sandals. You know? <laughs> they don't say the dua. And they're like, and this guy just walks up to them. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So I'd see the faces of the people he's saying salam to. Initially, they're scared just for a split second, and they realize that he's genuinely saying salam because he loves them. And then what happens to them? All that sadness and fear goes away. And they probably, when they go back, they'll say, when I entered the masjid, someone said salam to me. And it was so beautiful. That's how you increase love. It's something simple, and you might say, well, give us something more complex. <laughs> it's something simple. The issue is implementation. The issue is implementation. And SubhanAllah, the, um, the lives of human beings. The more you learn about a human being, and this is like the seal of the Prophet ﷺ, it's like a pond. The more the water is mixed, the purer it becomes. The more you dive into that pond of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, the cleaner you, it becomes to you. Obviously, it's completely clean. But the cleaner and clearer it becomes to you. Now, the lives of human beings, like you'd say, for example, like a famous president, everybody's saying nice things about him and so on and so forth. But when you start researching about the president, you're like, oh my God, this guy's crazy, right? You understand what I'm saying? The more you learn, and even yourselves, you're like, mashallah, Muhammad al-Sharif, and Canada, this and that. If you start learning more about me, then that's a different issue, right? You just get kind of like the glossy. The Prophet wasallam, the more you learn about him, unlike any other human being, the more you will love him. So the more private you get into the life of the Prophet the more you will love the Prophet It's not like other human beings that the more you learn about them, you actually start to hate them later on. The Prophet the more you know about him, the more you will love the Prophet And how you benefit when you're dealing in your da'wah organizations and so on and so forth. It's your work. You have an example in the seerah of the Prophet So now, instead of just making stuff up, as you're going around, someone says, should we do this, should we do that? You can start saying, what would the Prophet do? What example do we have in the seerah of the Prophet Not a shallow, but you can actually start extracting things. This is how the Prophet dealt with it. Our success is in following the guidance of the Prophet which is the statement that the, the khatib says, The best of example is the example of the Prophet that's the best example. There's no possible way that Allah would choose anything but the best for His Messenger. So if you're in Hajj, for example, this is what the Prophet said, but then your Hajj guide is telling you, let's go do this. There's no possible way that what the Prophet did is less virtuous than what you're telling them to do. I'm giving an example of that. Is Let's say it's the days of Minna. It's the days of Minna. How many of you have not gone for Hajj? Okay, so you don't understand what I'm talking about. 
anyhow, there are three, three days basically that you're staying in these tents, which are, you know, about an hour's walk from the Kaaba. You're just staying in a tent. So when people sit there in the tent, they're like, you know, twiddling their thumbs and saying, what do we do here? Someone has a brilliant idea. They're like, let's go pray in the haram because the salah is worth 100,000. Okay, now, who told you that? The Prophet said, okay, great. What did he do during Hajj? Did he go to the haram because the salah was worth 100,000? That's what he did? He stayed in Mina. So if you're looking for what's best, then the guidance of the Prophet is always the best option. And one of the shiuch mentioned something so beautiful. He said, it is not possible that the happiness of life is in like material possessions. It is not possible. Because that was not the hedi of the Prophet Because if it was, if that was the happiness, then Allah would have gave it to the Prophet But because the Prophet wasn't living a lavish, materialistic life, of course, and, and that's something, I'm not saying that uh, you know, the halal is haram or something like that, but he wasn't living a lavishly materialistic life, so it's not possible that that is the happiness. The happiness and the sa'ada of life is in following the guidance of the Prophet And then the person is happy. And so we'll be following the seerah of the Prophet start to finish in these two weekends, inshallah ta'ala. In the first weekend, I'm going to be dealing with the Meccan phase. Inshallah, as we finish on Sunday, inshallah ta'ala, we should be finished with the Hijrah. And then next weekend, we'll be doing the Medina phase, inshallah. I know a lot of you may have heard the stories of the seerah. What the beautiful thing about the class is, it will become chronological, meaning that, you know, like these, it'll come all together. So you'll see it start to finish, not just a story here or a story there. So it's put all together. And of course, reflections on the seerah of the Prophet As I said, there's so much to extract from it. So there's so many possible ways that we could approach the seerah. But we're taking this approach, you know, for the general masses of people. And inshallah ta'ala, it will be a gateway for you to go and research more of the seerah after this class, inshallah ta'ala. During the seminar, we're going to be mentioning the name of the Prophet. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam a lot. So maybe just a few words about uh, the statement of Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Firstly, you never ever ever want to abbreviate it. Okay, so lessons about this is kind of like the fiqh of Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. As you say, Darud Sharif. <laughs> Darud Ash-Sharif. You never want to abbreviate it, so you don't do P-B-U-H or S-A-W-S. Alhamdulillah, with, um, if you have like Microsoft Word, you can go to autocorrect. And if you type in PBUH space, it'll automatically turn it into, you know, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. So you can do that. So all the people are worried about typing out, you know, Sallallahu Alaihi Oh, stingy people. <laughs> Don't worry. You know, SubhanAllah, when you're writing, there might be like, very little barakah in the other things that you write. It's your, it's your honor and pleasure to write sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. To take a moment and write it from your heart, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, right? But I'm saying you can even automate it in your, if you're writing on the computer, you can automate your writing of that. So the, that statement should not be abbreviated. Secondly, it's when you say salam on the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you're saying salatu wa salam. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima, right? Sallu wa sallimu. Salam is like, you know, we're sending salam to the, uh, to the Prophet. Like you're saying, like, salam alaikum, right? Sending peace. And then uh, the salah is like the blessings. They translate it as blessings. So when you're saying, you know, sometimes the other prophets, you're saying like, Ibrahim alayhi salam, right? But you don't say to the, you don't say Rasulullah alayhi salam. Do you see what I'm saying? 
you say Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, right? Or you say alayhi salatu wasallam. So you do both. So you don't abbreviate it even in, in your uh, salam on the Prophet. Alayhi salatu wasallam. And then obviously we're going to be mentioning the name of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam a lot. So you need to say it. And the Prophet said, Al-Bakhilu man dhukirtu indahu falam yusalli alayhi. The stingy person is the one whom I, uh, my name is mentioned in his presence and he doesn't pray for me. Right? And so the Prophet all your life and all your guidance, you know, your thanks is to the Prophet that Allah sent him as a messenger. And so you can never, like all your thanks that you need, the, the name Muhammad, the name Muhammad is the one who is praised for all the things that the Prophet did for you. And so even the Prophet out of his mercy, one day he was so happy. And the companions asked him about it. And he said that, you know, it was told to me that whoever prays for me once, Allah prays for them ten times. So it's to your benefit as well that you get, just like we said, that it's just gold nuggets waiting for you, gold coins, just waiting for you to pick it up. In the name of the Prophet وسلم, is mentioned, you're saying it. So even as you're writing in your notebooks and so on and so forth, and you hear the name, as you're writing, just say وسلم, so you're interacting with what you're writing as well. Also, just some of the fiqh of that. When a person prays for the Prophet وسلم, Allah appoints an angel to take that salam to the Prophet So the salam that you're sending to the Prophet reaches him. Reaches the angel is like so and so is saying salam to you. And so you're sending your salam to the Prophet These are etiquettes as well about saying sallallahu alayhi wasallam that um, might not be in our culture but you might see it come up. If you, you know there might be a, a guy standing with a tasbih like this and he's like selling uh, I don't know dates or something like that. Right? And then you ask him, you know, Shaykh, come have If you've been to like Mecca, Medina, you know what I'm talking about. And he, and he goes, or, oh, this is good. This is good. The women in the gold shops. Okay? So the woman goes to the guy, you know, you know uh, Shaykh, you know, come have And he's got like a tespih and stuff like that. And he's like, have He looks the lady up and down. He's like, okay, she's a foreigner. I'll jack the price up and stuff like that. <laughs> And he goes, Hada Allahumma salli wa sallam ala Muhammad, Hada ba, you know, ashratalaf. You see what happened right there? What did he do? What did he do? He set up his price by putting salam on the Prophet. Anybody ever seen that happen before? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you seen it happen? How many, I need to see if you've seen it happen. If nobody saw it happen, then I won't explain anymore. Okay? Basically, the etiquette is you're doing a business transaction, you're not putting the name of the Prophet to influence the business transaction. So your goal in the business transaction, your goal in saying salam is not to get any worldly gain out of it or not to influence people like it. If you're saying um, the salam on the Prophet you're doing it sincerely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.